Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fuck's Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the main puffin frying next to me is Ellen. Griddled puffin? On On a a Friday! Friday. (laughs) Even though it's technically Saturday as we record this, or if you're listening, possibly Thursday? Or really, I suppose it's any day if you're listening to it, so it could possibly be a Friday. Ellen, Ellen, honey, it's just a movie quote. Right. Yay, decoy bride! (laughs) Anyway, let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 27, the centaur and the sneak, and the corresponding film scenes. Umbridge becomes the Ministry's leading conspiracy theorist. Marietta finds out the hard way that snitches get cystic acne. McGonagall continues to be Dumbledore's ride-or-die bitch. Fox makes an excellent getaway driver, or flyer. Dumbledore becomes the fall guy whether everyone else wants him to or not. Fudge nearly fudges himself when he thinks he's going to be able to arrest that pain in the albus. Harry's slow on the uptake, but no, that's just it. He's slow on the uptake. And no matter what anyone says, we all know that Kingsley is the one who's got style. Yes, he does. During episode 167, I learned it from watching you. Our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on the movie removing Marietta and making Cho the traitor? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter pondering. I'm sick and I sound like a troll, but I better not miss a pondering. I'll just keep it short. How do I feel about them giving Marietta's bullshit to Cho? Is pissed off. Because they did Chow so wrong with that shit. She was already going through so much grief and trauma and just sifting through her emotions with Harry. And even though she was also an ancillary character in the book, doesn't mean that y'all can ladle the bullshit on her for her to expose. Chow is not a snitch. That's just kind of fucked up, you know? It's not a snitch. And removing the curse that Hermione did... I mean, they could at least put that in there. No? I'm tired of these people. Hey guys, it's Jackson here with my Potter pondering for this week. How do I feel about them getting rid of Marietta in the movie and making Cho the traitor? It's so stupid. I mean, look, if you had to cut out Marietta, I guess it makes sense for the movie. But no, I don't like it. I didn't like that we got rid of Marietta. I didn't like that we didn't get to see the snake. That jinx of Hermione's. That was just brilliant. Uh, why are we getting so bilked with these movies? Hey, this is Jessica calling in this week's Potter Pondering about how I feel about the movie leaving out Marietta completely. I can understand why they wanted to use Cho as the traitor instead it's, you know, easier than casting another student, and Marietta was in the club because of Cho. So, like, it makes sense. I can understand. But it's still annoying. However, I don't know why they do everything half-assed. 
If they were going to have Cho rat on Dumbledore's army, they could have at least done the whole storyline, including Hermione's jinx showing how truly slitheringly she is, Umbridge proving to be even more horrible and her manhandling and Kingsley still being on Dumbledore's side. You know, he has that little line, but the fact that he's there with Umbridge and Butch kind of makes it seem like, well, whose side is he on, you know? And not just the way is kind of revealed with her, you know, Percy being manhandling Cho instead and Harry giving her the cold shoulder. You know, especially in the movie, they really need to give us more details on how and why everything with Cho happened. Because Harry goes from snogging her under the nargle toe to completely ignoring her. They didn't have them argue about it like they did in the book. Like, did she betray because of her mom working at the ministry like Marietta did? I just want more details. I know it's because they didn't want to cast another person, but considering Cho's relationship with Harry, it seems far more unlikely she'd go to Umbridge about everything. I understand why they did it, but I just don't like it. Sorry, this was kind of all over the place. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, how many galleons are Fred and George charging for the Deflagration Deluxe box of Weasley's Wildfire Whizbangs? The Deflagration Deluxe box cost 20 galleons. It's a hefty price. Worth it. Hmm. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley. Woohoo! Podbean must have fixed the issue because it definitely posted on time and Mike was ready with the answer hitting a three-week streak. Nice. Will he keep it going, or is Megan or someone else going to sweep in and end it? We shall see. For now, let's dive into the first half of Chapter 28, Snape's Worst Memory, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 28, Snape's Worst Memory, Part 1. Overnight notices of Educational Decree Number 28 go up all over the school declaring that Dolores Jane Umbridge, High Inquisitor, has replaced Albus Dumbledore as head of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. What it doesn't explain, though, is how every single person in the castle seems to know that Dumbledore overcame two Aurors, the High Inquisitor, the Minister of Magic, and his junior assistant to escape. Everywhere Harry goes, he hears people talking about Dumbledore's flight, and though some details have gone awry, such as the belief that Fudge is in St. Mungo's with a pumpkin for a head, he is surprised to hear how accurate the majority of their information is. They all seem to know that Harry and Marietta were the only students present, and since the latter is in the hospital wing, it leaves Harry to be the one constantly bothered for details. Ernie McMillan is confident that Dumbledore will be back before long since they couldn't keep him away in their second year. He also lowers his voice to tell Harry that the fat friar told him that the head's office sealed itself against Umbridge, and she threw a tantrum about it. Hermione viciously says that she bets she really fancied herself lording over all the other teachers up in the head's office. Draco Malfoy cuts her off as she begins to insult the new headmistress, telling her that he will have to dock points from Gryffindor. Ernie informs him that only teachers can dock from houses, and Ron reminds him that they are prefects too. 
But Malfoy sneers back that he knows prefects can't dock points, but members of the inquisitorial squad can. Hermione sharply asks what that is, and Malfoy points to a tiny silver eye pinned to his robes just under his prefix badge, as he explains that they are a select group of students that are supportive of the Ministry of Magic, hand-selected by Umbridge. He then proceeds to take five points for Granger being rude about Umbridge, five for Macmillan contradicting him, five because he doesn't like Potter, five for Weasley's shirt being untucked, and then another ten since Granger is a mudblood. Ron pulls out his wand, but Hermione quickly stops him, which Malfoy calls a wise move, before striding away laughing about the new head and new times, telling Potty and Weasel King to be good. Ernie is horrified and thinks he must be bluffing because if they can dock points, it completely undermines the prefect system. Harry, Ron, and Hermione all turn to the giant hourglass to see that stones are flying upward and reducing the amount of points for all houses but Slytherin. Fred pops up and comments on them noticing the new system. Harry furiously informs him that Malfoy just docked them about 50 points, and George responds that Montague tried to do the same to them during break. Ron wants to know what he means by tried, and Fred explains that he never actually got the words out because they forced him headfirst into the vanishing cabinet on the first floor. Hermione is shocked and worried that they will get into big trouble, but Fred isn't concerned since that won't be until Montague appears, and that could take weeks. Plus, they have decided that they no longer care about getting into trouble. Hermione asks if they ever cared, and George points out that they have never been expelled. Fred adds on that they know where to draw the line and stop short of causing real mayhem. Ron cautiously asks them what they intend now, and the twins both declare that a bit of mayhem is exactly what the new head deserves. Hermione warns them that she'd love a reason to expel them, and Fred smiles in response, explaining that they don't care about staying anymore and would just walk out now if they weren't determined to do their bit for Dumbledore first. He then warns them to be in the Great Hall for lunch so the teachers will see them and know they didn't have anything to do with it. When Hermione asks what it is, George mysteriously tells her they will see, and the twins turn away and disappear into the crowd. Hermione nervously suggests that they do get out of there just in case, but before they can enter the Great Hall, someone taps Harry on the shoulder, and he turns to find himself face to face with Filch. He informs Harry that the headmistress would like to see him, which makes Harry immediately insist he didn't do it. Filch comments on his guilty conscience and tells Harry to follow him before leading the way to Umbridge. Along the way, he talks about how things are changing, and when Educational Decree 29 comes in, he will be allowed to really punish the students for breaking rules. Plus, Umbridge asks the minister to sign an order to expel Peeves. Harry realizes that the new head has gone through great lengths to get Filch on her side and knows that he's probably an important weapon with his knowledge of the castle and secret passages. They arrive at Umbridge's office and Filch knocks and presents Harry. Her office looks exactly the same except for a new large wooden block across the front of her desk, spelling out the word headmistress in golden letters, along with his, Fred, and George's broomsticks chained behind her desk. Umbridge looks up from her pink parchment and thanks Argus before telling Harry to sit, then surprises him by offering him a drink, tea, coffee, or pumpkin juice. 
Harry turns down her offer, but she insists and demands he choose one. Harry shrugs and picks tea, which she prepares with her back to him, then hands to him and tells him to drink it before it gets cold, then explains that she thought they should have a chat about the distressing events of the previous night. Harry doesn't respond, so she just sits back in her chair and waits. After several moments, she directs Harry to drink his tea, and he raises it to his lips before suddenly lowering it. One of the painted kittens behind her has round blue eyes just like Mad-Eye Moody's magical one, and it makes Harry imagine what he would say if he ever found out Harry drank something from a known enemy. Instead, he pretends to take a sip, and Umbridge smiles before launching into her questions, starting with, where is Albus Dumbledore? Harry immediately says he has no idea, so she again tells him to drink up. She tries to persuade him to tell her, but he still insists that he doesn't know where he is before pretending to take another sip of his tea. She seems to accept this and instead asks where Sirius Black is. Again, Harry says he doesn't know, and again, Umbridge tries to persuade him to talk. He tells her he hasn't got a clue, and the two stare at one another until Harry's eyes start to water. Umbridge then stands and says she will take his word for it this time, but warns him that she has the might of the ministry behind her, and all channels of communication in and out of the school are being monitored, including the flu network on every Hogwarts fire, except her own. Before she can warn him what she will do if she finds any evidence, there's a loud boom, and she slips sideways wondering what that was as she looks towards the door. Harry takes this chance to dump his tea into a vase of dried flowers, as he can hear people running and screaming several floors below. Umbridge orders him back to lunch and dashes out of her office. Harry waits a few moments, then hurries after her to find the source of the uproar. One floor down, dragons composed of green and gold sparks are soaring up and down the corridors, emitting loud bangs and blasts. Five feet wide pink Catherine wheels are whizzing around like flying saucers. Rockets with tails of silver stars are ricocheting off the walls. Sparklers are writing swear words of their own accord as firecrackers explode like mines everywhere, everything seeming to gain momentum as time goes on. Filch and Umbridge are both standing, transfixed with horror, until a Catherine wheel begins to fly right towards them, and they yell and duck in fright as it escapes through the open door leading to the second floor. Umbridge shrieks for Filch to do something as she pulls out her wand and attempts to stupefy one of the rockets. Instead of freezing, it explodes with extreme force. She yells to Fudge not to stun them, who agrees, though, as a squib, wouldn't have been able to anyway, instead grabbing a broom from a nearby cupboard and swatting at them, setting the broom ablaze. Harry laughs and ducks through a door concealed behind a tapestry, where he finds Fred and George hiding and listening to the chaos, suppressing their own laughter. Harry grins at them and quietly tells them how impressive it is. George whispers cheers back as he wipes tears from his face and informs Harry that he hopes she tries vanishing them next because they will multiply by ten every time. For the rest of the afternoon, the fireworks continue to burn and spread around the school. Though they are extremely disruptive, the other teachers don't seem to mind them much. 
as the dragon soars around Professor McGonagall's classroom, she just sardonically says, dear, dear, and sends Lavender to inform the headmistress that they have an escaped firework in their classroom. This seems to be the tactic of the majority of the teachers, as Professor Umbridge spends the entire afternoon of her first day as headmistress running all over the school to rid the classrooms of fireworks. When the final bell rings, Harry catches sight of a disheveled and soot-blackened Umbridge leaving Professor Flitwick's classroom as he thanks her and informs her that he could have gotten rid of the sparklers himself, but wasn't sure if he had the authority. Fred and George are heroes in the common room that night, and even Hermione congratulates them on their wonderful fireworks. George is surprised but also pleased as he thanks her and says that they use their whole stock and have to start from scratch. Fred jumps in to say that it was worth it and lets Hermione know that she can add her name to the waiting list if she wants. It's five galleons for the basic blaze box and 20 galleons for the deflagration deluxe. When she returns to the table where Harry and Ron are sitting, hoping their homework will start doing itself, she suggests they take the night off. Ron is shocked and asks if she's feeling all right, and Hermione admits that she's feeling a bit rebellious. About an hour later, they head to bed with the fireworks still going off in the distance. Harry gets into bed, takes off his glasses, and turns to the side, wondering how Umbridge is feeling about her first day in Dumbledore's job and how Fudge will react when he hears what happened. He smiles and closes his eyes. The sound of fireworks seems to grow more and more distant as Harry falls right into the corridor leading to the Department of Mysteries. He speeds towards the door, pleading for it to open, and it does. Inside the circular room lined with doors, he crosses it and places his hand on an identical door, which also opens. Now, in a long rectangular room, he hears a mechanical clicking, but doesn't hesitate and heads straight to the door at the far end, which opens with his touch. The dimly lit room with high ceilings is lined with rows and rows of shelves, all filled with dusty glass spheres. His heart is pounding and he knows exactly where to go for the thing he so desperately wants. Or something someone else wants. Harry's scar is hurting and with a loud bang he wakes up confused and angry. Seamus is at the window laughing and telling everyone that one of the Catherine wheels hit a rocket and it's like they mated. Ron and Dean scramble to see two but Harry remains in bed waiting for the pain in his scar to ebb as he feels a wave of disappointment. He had been so close that time. As he lay in bed listening to the whoops of the Gryffindors in the dormitories below, his stomach gives a jolt as he remembers his upcoming occlumency lesson. Harry spends the whole next day dreading what Snape will say if he finds out how far into the Department of Mysteries Harry got during his dream. He also realizes that he hasn't practiced once, and knows Snape will not accept too much going on since Dumbledore had left as an excuse. He tries for some last-minute practice during the day, but Hermione keeps asking him what is wrong, and he really does need to focus on the teachers who are rapidly firing review questions for the exam. Resigned for the worse, Harry sets off to Snape's office after dinner. His meeting is postponed when Cho finds him and he pulls her aside to ask if she's okay and if Umbridge has been questioning her. Cho says she is. She just wanted to say that she never dreamed Marietta would tell. 
Harry feels a little moody about this, and when Cho tells him that she really is a lovely person who made a mistake, he looks at her incredulously and points out that she sold them all out. Cho pleads that they all got away and uses her mom working for the ministry as an excuse. Harry isn't buying this and just points out that Ron's dad works for the ministry, but he hasn't got sneak written across his face. Cho angrily calls that a horrible trick of Hermione's, saying she should have told them she jinxed the list, but Harry cuts her off to say he thought it was brilliant. Cho flushes and says, of course, if it was darling Hermione's idea. Harry warns her not to start crying again, and she shouts that she wasn't going to. Harry says good since he has enough to cope with at the moment, and Cho furiously tells him to go and cope with it before turning away and stalking off. The movie section picks up with Filch climbing a ridiculously tall and unstable ladder to hang a new educational decree as Harry, Ron, Hermione, and some other students watch in dismay. Thunder rumbles and the trio glance behind them to the courtyard where a lone student runs from the incoming storm. They look back to the newly hung decree as the music becomes more ominous and the camera focuses on the plaque depicting Educational Decree number 119, which states that Dolores Jane Umbridge has replaced Albus Dumbledore as head of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The camera zooms in as the music intensifies, and then the scene cuts to some magical speakers as Umbridge's voice can be heard announcing that boys and girls are not to be within eight inches of each other. We then get a trippy little transition through the castle, twisting above and down the many staircases, as Umbridge's voice continues to list off the things she is implementing as the new headmistress. It settles on Filch, who is removing paintings from the walls along the stairs, as he picks one up containing several men in white collars surrounding a skeleton. They all complain as he deliberately shakes the painting back and forth, causing them to also yell as they fall out of frame. The scene then shifts to some intense mechanism locking into place on a giant door before cutting to a quill poised above parchment. The scene sharpens to show several rows of quills writing on parchment before shifting to show perfectly lined up desks in the Great Hall, filled with members of the DA, all writing lines that cut into the backs of their hands as Umbridge watches from the head's chair and sips tea. Fred and George grimace and look up at her with hate etched into their faces, and she simply sits back in the chair and sighs. Cho Chang is standing outside of the Great Hall waiting for them to leave, and everyone walks past her without saying anything to her. When Harry exits last, she tries to approach him, but he barely looks at her and just walks right around her, leaving her standing alone, looking sad. Wah, wah. Poor Cho. That's all she needs is yet another reason to be sad, right? I mean, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's really going to make her happy at this point. Well, yeah, I mean, she was happy with the DA, though. But if you're watching the movie until she narked on him. <laughs> well, yes, of course, but. <laughs> the bare bones of this is similar. Mm -hmm. There is also a part of it that is technically included in the movie, but done so differently and at a later point that there was no way to make it work with it. Yeah, it got weird. Yeah. It got, got weird? Well, <laughs> that part got weird. <laughs> yeah. In addition to all of the other weirdness. Yeah. There we go. Starts in a very similar place, mm -hmm. ends in a very similar place. It's the middle that's just like, <laughs> So that's what we're going to go through right now. The middle's where you get all fucked up. In the book, starts off talking about how overnight they put up all of the notices for educational decree number 28. 
I'm emphasizing 28 here. That sounds like such a low number. Right? (laughs) But it declares that Dolores Jane Umbridge, High Inquisitor, has replaced Albus Dumbledore as head of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And I find it funny that she gets her full name on there, but apparently the plaque just wasn't big enough to include Dumbledore's (laughs) full name. (laughs) I mean, it was quite a large font. Yes. They could have made it smaller. I actually kind of want to see Dolores Jane Umbridge in really big writing, High Inquisitor, and then Albus Dumbledore's entire full name in super (laughs) tiny font on one line. With all of his, like... Titles and everything? Yeah, titles. Even though they've been stripped. Most of them, yeah. Yeah. It'd be like in Willy Wonka, where they have to sign the contract, but the contract starts really big lettering, and then it goes down and it gets smaller, 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 smaller. It'd be like that, because it'd be all his names. Yep. (laughs) And this is both... A ding and not a ding in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Ding because we come back to the movie with Filch and his giant ladder again. He hangs yet another educational decree on the wall as our heroes look on aghast. (gasps) (gasps) Oh, my stars. stars. (laughs) Clutch my pearls. (laughs) Another decree. Whatever will we do? (sighs) The weather takes a turn for the worse, while one dumbass kid runs away as the trio turn to look at him. And we get to see educational decree number 119. It's significantly higher than 28. Significantly. <laughs> I really kind of want to know what all 119 are in the movie now. <laughs> I'm going to make a list. <laughs> right? It just It's such an annoyingly random number. What? So unnecessary, too. Oh, my God. Like, I... You're trying to show that she made a lot of fucking rules. I get it. 28 is a very high number if you're talking rules. Right. Like Within one school year. It hasn't even been a full school year. Right. And we know that the government is not that efficient. <laughs> well, when they're unchecked, they are. And she's pretty fucking unchecked. True story. <laughs> so there's that. But yeah, so this one gives Pepto Bitchmall like the power to burn the school to the ground if her tiny heart so desires, I believe. Something and like that. And one could argue that she kinda is. That's yeah. This is also slightly different from how it happened in the book, but it's still same enough. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a ding. Yeah. The number's wrong, the way they presented it, because they have to add in the humor of Filch nearly falling off a fucking ladder. Like Sure, why not? Little different there. Yeah. But it introduced an educational decree that puts Pepto Bitch Mall in fucking charge. Mm-hmm. We then get into a little less of a ding with a quasi montage in which Umbridge can be heard rattling off a number of new school rules that are now a thing because she's the head bitch in charge. Yeah. Starting with a ban on boys and girls being within eight inches of each other. Cue the Snickers from the LGBT students. <laughs> We twist and turn in transition while Bitch Mall continues to blather on about her new regime, including asking for volunteers for the Inquisitorial Squad, which was a mistake that we made last time because we thought that it had already been formed. No, she did in the montage, but the montage has just really fucked the but order up on called, a lot of things. Was it? it wasn't called that, was it? I think that was an editing error. I don't think we made that mistake. Oh. I think the movie made that mistake. <gasps> Score! Go us! Yeah. Okay, cool. Haha, <laughs> we didn't do anything wrong. This time. Well, give us time. And there's also a warning of the upcoming Hogwarts Inquisition, which is 
usually even less expected than the Spanish one. So, you know. Yeah, I did not see that coming. Right. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> or the Hogwarts Inquisition, for that matter. Mm-hmm. We then come to Filch, who is ridding the School of Art, because, of course... He takes the last painting off the wall and just kind of yeets the doctors in it right out of the frame. Yeah, and that's not at all how it happened in the book. No. And Filch reading the School of Art doesn't even make sense to me since in the books he was the one who restored the fat lady. Like, you'd think he'd have some pride in the painting if he's actually helping keeping them in good shape. Yeah. Although I suppose it is possible that he had to rid the school of all of the art so they had room for all the fucking decrees. Well, you know what? (laughs) (laughs) They're just going to turn it into wallpaper. Right. And just cover (laughs) the entirety. Because she's like, wait a minute, we can't just have decrees on this wall. We have to have them on every floor. Because otherwise people will say that they missed them. Right. Yeah, they have to. Everywhere. Everywhere. That's what it is. All the decrees all of the time. Yeah. (laughs) The book also actually gives us a lot more details about the school's reaction to the news. What? It doesn't really explain how they are able to have those reactions because one of the main things is that everybody in the fucking castle somehow knows nearly exactly what went down in Dumbledore's office the previous night. It's a little bit like after the quarrel incident in Sorcerer's Stone where Dumbledore's like, well... This has been kept a big, huge secret, so naturally, everybody knows. knows. Exactly. (laughs) They specifically know that Dumbledore had to overcome two Aurors, the High Inquisitor, the Minister of Magic, and his junior assistant to escape, which I don't know why the phrasing of that just cracks me up. Because (laughs) A, Percy was already gone at that point, so he didn't technically have to overcome him. And B, what the fuck was Percy going to do anyway? (laughs) Like, I mean, why would that be listed last? Do it like... Junior assistant, minister of magic, high inquisitor, two R's. I think it was just to add bodies yeah. to make it sound more impressive. When it just it ended very on much that wasn't. did not do that right. for me. <laughs> no, not at all. There are a few details that have gone awry. Harry heard a second year telling anybody who would listen that Fudge is now in St. Mungo's with a pumpkin for a head. Fun. So that's probably not accurate. Yeah. But aside from that... Harry's pretty surprised at how accurate everything else is because they know that he and Marietta were the only students that were present. Mm-hmm. And then since Marietta is currently basically hiding in the hospital wing, because let's be honest, there's not much they can do for her situation and she just doesn't want people to see her. Yeah. It just leaves Harry as being the one that everybody approaches. What happened? Tell us more. Is this right? <laughs> Did this really happen? Does Fudge have a pumpkin for a head? I mean, not no. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Ernie McMillan, in specific, in a fairly non-pompous moment for him, what expresses that he is positive that they're not going to be able to keep Dumbledore away because they tried it in second year and it didn't work. They're not going to get away with it this time either. He's like, he'll be back. And then he lowers his voice to confide in Harry, Ron, and Hermione that the fat friar, who's Hufflepuff's ghost, told him that... Seamus Umbridge- told Dean to tell Lavender. <laughs> <laughs> no, just that Pepto Bitchmall tried to get up to the head's office and couldn't get past the gargoyle because it sealed itself off to her. And I fucking love that. That's pretty awesome when even your door has your back. Right. <laughs> and apparently she threw a big tantrum about it, which made her Myanin just, oh, I bet she did. She really fancied herself sitting up there and lording it over all the teachers, the puffed up pompous, blah, 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 blah. And 
At this point, unfortunately, Nazi von Douchebag II shows up mm-hmm. and cuts her off to tell her that he's going to have to dock some points from Gryffindor for insulting the new headmistress. Which, for anybody that's been paying attention, they're like, what? You can't yeah. do that. That's not a thing. And Ernie says that. Only teachers can take points away from houses, dude. Mm-hmm. Which I do kind of wonder about because we know that Percy took some points away. Yeah, I thought prefix could take. Or maybe head, head boy. boy. Maybe only from their own house. Oh, that's a good maybe. point. That's actually a very good point. Yeah, it that's could be probably something. like, yeah, that's the caveat, I think. But Ernie reminds Malfoy that only teachers can take points from houses. And Ron's like, yeah, we're prefix too. We know this. And Nazi von Douchebag II shoots back. He knows that prefix can't dock points, but members of the inquisitorial squad can. And this is when we first learn of it in the book. So it kind of is lining up with the movie now, since now they're really talking about it. Yeah. Even though they showed us that scene earlier of people getting, like, knighted into it. Yeah. Whatevs. Because Hermione's like, what the fuck's that? And VD2 points to his little silver eye badge Mm -hmm. right under his prefix badge and says, Oh, we're a select group of students that Umbridge handpicked because we support the Ministry of Magic, unlike you fools. Something like that. That sounds pretty on point. <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> and then he takes away five points from Gryffindor for Granger being rude about the new headmistress. Mm-hmm. Five from Macmillan. I suppose that would be from Hufflepuff simply yeah. because he contradicted him. Five from Gryffindor again, just because he doesn't like Potter. Another five from Gryffindor because Weasley's shirt isn't tucked in. And then the fucking VD2 goes, oh, and you know what? Another 10 because you're a mudblood. Wow, bro. Dude. This is why we can't have nice things. This is... (laughs) The phrase absolute power corrupts absolutely is not a fucking lie here. No. It's for goddamn sure. Ron's immediate reaction because... He definitely is not a Ravenclaw, is to pull out his wand. And Hermione's just like, what the fuck? Don't do that. What are you going to do with that thing, bro? VD2 says, wise move. New times, new heads. (laughs) Be good, potty and Weasel King. And then they just walk away laughing. Those are such pathetic names. We've talked about this before. There's just, I know, it always just amazes me how fucking pathetic they are, though. Training for the ballet, potty. Potty. Weasel King. It's just sad. It's one of those moments where, like... You're embarrassed for him? Yeah. Because he clearly doesn't know enough to be embarrassed for himself, so you're just like, oh, honey. It is first-class cringe. Bless your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it might have hurt when it was actually happening and you were actually, like, a child and you didn't know any better, but then you're an adult and you're like, he fucking called me what? I feel like because they start to get along a little bit better as adults, I feel like... He's never going to let him live that down. No. (laughs) Like, remember how bad you were at insults? Right. You used to call me potty. Remember how, like, legit pathetic that is? Yeah. Come on. Anyway, they walk off laughing, and it just leaves Ernie and the trio behind. Like, what the fuck? And Ernie Mm -hmm. thinks there's no way that he can actually take away points. That's got to be a bluff. But Harry, Ron, and Hermione are used to shit being, no, there's no way. It's fucking real. So they just turn and immediately look at all of the hourglasses Mm -hmm. and they're just watching the stones fly upward back into the top part part where the points come from Mm -hmm. in every single house but Slytherin. Of course. So Gryffindor and Ravenclaw were neck and neck in the lead Mm -hmm. 
And now Slytherin is very clearly in the lead and everybody's just rapidly losing points. Yeah. Fred and George notice them noticing this and they're like, oh, you found the new system, huh? You could say that. Yeah. And Harry furiously is just like, Malfoy just docked us about 50 points, which I don't know what kind of math he's doing, but it was maybe 25. They don't have math at Hogwarts, so. Because it was 10 for Hermione Mm -hmm. plus five. So that's 15. Yeah, 25 points. He just like doubled the amount of points that they lost. One plus two plus one plus two. Sorry. Right? I was like, dude, I know. And we're not supposed to be doing math in this podcast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Harry's complaining about his poor math. And George says that Montague tried to do the same to them during break. And Ron just sort of goes, what do you mean by tried to? <laughs> and Fred says, well, he never actually got the words out because we shoved him headfirst into the vanishing cabinet on the first floor. Dig that. Yeah. Also, Vanishing Cabinet. Hmm. This is the second time that it's been mentioned in the series. Hmm. That sounds interesting. Yeah. wonder if we'll learn about that later. Hmm. Possibly. We'll find out. I guess we will. Hermione is very concerned about this because she's sure they're going to get in huge trouble. And Fred's just like, not until Montague reappears and who knows when that could be. It could be weeks. Could be months. Yeah. Who knows? Who the hell knows? He also mentions that they don't really care about getting into trouble anymore. And Hermione's like, did you ever care? And George (laughs) says, we've never been expelled. Fred's like, yeah, we know where to draw the line. George says we may tow it every now and then, Mm -hmm. but we stop short of causing real mayhem. And I like to imagine this happening in that twin tandem talk that they do in the movies so well. Oh, yeah, of course. Which makes me really mad that we didn't get this scene. I'm mad we didn't get every twin scene, honestly. True, But yeah, definitely this. So Ron's kind of like, well, what do you intend now? (laughs) And again, twin tandem talk. We think that a bit of mayhem is exactly what the new head deserves. Mm Mm-hmm. Accurate. Yeah. Hermione's, again, very concerned because all she can think about is the worst thing ever, you know, being expelled. And she points out that Pepto Bitch Mall would love a reason to expel them. And Fred's just like, yeah, you don't get it. We don't care. Yeah. We would actually just walk out right now if we weren't determined to get a little bit of revenge for Dumbledore first. There is no enemy scarier than the one that has nothing left to lose. Right? Like, they just give zero fucks. It's all or nothing now. Yeah. And I'm guessing we're tipping the scales towards all. Yep. That's yep, what I'm hearing. Yep. yep. He also warns them to make sure they're in the great hall for lunch so the teachers see them there and know they have nothing to do with it. Get an alibi, guys. Just Just saying. saying. Hermione wants to know what it is. I don't think you do, Hermione. George says, you'll see. And then they turn away and disappear in the crowd. Like, what would she do if they did tell her, though? (laughs) I don't know if she would try to stop them at this point. I really don't think she would. I feel like she'd be like, that's terrible. I'm going to go think about this. (laughs) In the great hall where I eat my lunch and pretend like I don't know anything about this. Professor McGonagall, it is I, Hermione Granger. (laughs) I am here eating lunch and have nothing to do with whatever is about to happen. (laughs) Nothing is going on whatsoever. As you can see, my companions... Harold Potter and Ronald Weasley. He's not Harold. No, I know. He's not. But still. I... <laughs> what she does actually say is, yeah, maybe we should get out of here just in case. 
And they start to go into the great hall, but they're stopped because somebody taps Harry on the shoulder and he turns around and he finds himself basically nose to nose with Filch, which caused him to kind of freak out and yeah. jump backwards because, as it says in the book, Filch is best viewed from a distance. Yeah. Talk about a jump scare. Right? Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Filch tells Harry that the headmistress would like to see him, and Harry's just got whatever Fred and George are about to do on his mind. He just goes, I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Totally not sus, dude. Wouldn't me. Wouldn't me at all. What? No. And Filch just mentions his guilty conscience and kind of laughs about it, but says, you know, follow me, and leads him to Umbridge's office because Harry has no idea where that is at this point. (laughs) She just really must want to be sure he gets there. Yeah. And then along the whole walk, he's just going on. He's like super chipper about it too, but he's just going on about how things are changing at Hogwarts. And Harry's just like, yeah. (laughs) And then Filch mentions educational decree 29 coming, not 120, but 29. Which is going to give him permission to actually hang students by their feet from the ceilings like he really wants to. And he's like, maybe you'll think twice about putting off stink pellets in the corridors and blah, 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 blah. Because this is really the way to go. Yeah. I mean, she has them slice their hands open, so that probably seems pretty mild to her. Yeah, sure, whatever. We can do that, man. Yeah, fuck. Sounds like a great idea. Like, can we hang them over spikes or something, too? Like, just in case they try to get away? No. Yeah, fuck it. Apparently, she also has asked the minister to sign an order to expel Peeves. And Harry was just like, well, shit, she understands what a good weapon Filch is because of his knowledge of the castle and all of the secret passageways. And having him on her side is Mm -hmm. not good, but she clearly wanted it. Oh, yeah. They get to Pepto Bitchwell's office and Filch knocks and says, I brought you Harry. And she thanks him and then tells Harry to sit down. And he looks around and he's like, okay. It looks exactly the same, except now she has this large wooden block across the front of her desk that says headmistress in golden letters. And he can see his and Fred's and George's brooms chained up behind her desk. And it's just like sad, sad panda. Do you think the brooms look sad, too? Probably. Like their little tails are like all wilty. (laughs) (laughs) Just sad trombone. But like I said, she tells Harry to sit down and then offers him a drink. What would you like to drink? And Harry's just like, what? Like, are you serious right now? I want you to have a drink with me. What would you like? Tea, coffee, pumpkin juice? And he's just like, I'm good. Maker's Mark. I don't need anything. (laughs) And she insists. So he's like, fine, whatever. Tea. Yeah. And she does this whole performance of making his tea and adding milk into it with her back to him because that's not suspicious at all. Oh, yeah. She's real slick. Yeah. And I mean... Why not just put the Veritas serum in the milk ahead of time so that you could pour it right in front of him look way less suspicious? Like, I thought this bitch was a Slytherin. I mean, maybe she's thinking about if they don't want milk. Then just put it in the fucking water. I'm not saying it was a perfect plan. I'm just saying. <laughs> Shit. I don't think she thought it through or didn't care. Maybe. But she gives it to him and tells him to drink up before it gets cold because also not suspicious. Mm-hmm. It has your tea. How's that, how's that tea doing right? over there? Uh, uh, why, you aren't drinking your tea. Why aren't you drinking your tea? Drink your tea. Is your tea Drink okay? Drink your tea, Potter. Is, is it do okay? Do you need sugar? Do you want me to heat it up again? I, I could do that. So he finally kind of gives in to all of her badgering and goes to take a sip. But then his eye catches one of the painted kittens behind her. And it's got these big round blue eyes that remind <laughs> him of Mad-Eye Moody's. And he's just like, Constant 
vigilance. Right? He's just like, what would he ever say? <laughs> right? If he found out that I drank something from a known enemy. Mm-hmm. And just does a pretend sip. Yeah. It's the right call, sir. Yeah. As we are going to find out. And apparently Pepto Bitch Ma is dumb enough to think that that was a real sip because she immediately launches into her questions, starting with, where's Albus Dumbledore? Like, Harry would know that anyway. Give it a second, too. Right? Like, Let shit. it kick in. I don't know how instantaneous <laughs> Veritaserum works, but... I mean, damn. His immediate response is, no idea. So she's like, drink up, drink up. <laughs> and she just tries to convince him with everything that went on and what's been happening. And I'm like, you know, I, like, we're going to figure it out. You really should just tell me now. And he's just like, no, I have no idea and pretends to take another sip. Mm-hmm. So she seems to accept this. Because she thinks he's actually drinking the tea and she thinks that she's drugged it. Yeah. So she switches tactics and instead says, where's Sirius Black? I'm sorry, who? A little too quickly this time. Harry just goes, no idea. <laughs> and again, Umbridge tries to talk him into giving the answer, reminding him that she nearly caught him in the fire and blah, 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 blah. And Harry's just like, yeah, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. And they just stare at each other. It's just staring contest until Harry's eyes start to water. Mm-hmm. And I guess at this point, she figures that if he did know, he would have had no choice but to tell her since she fucking drugged him or she thinks she did. Right. So she just stands and says she'll take his word for it this time. But then starts to, you know, drop some threats slash warnings mentioning that she has the might of the ministry behind her and they've got all of the channels of communication in and out of the school monitored so they're reading the owls letters they're monitoring all of the fires through the flu network on every hogwarts fire and she specifically mentions except her own of course why would you say that to set it up for you know a future part of the book oh yeah Mm-hmm. that's the only reason yeah it's still stupid though definitely but we already established that she did not plan this out very well no she thinks she did boy fuck does she but no uh-uh this is definitely not how it happened in the movie instead of interviewing harry like this we then get a clever reuse of the giant pointless door locking sequence that was used in prisoner of the band oh my gosh that is what that's from mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, literally like they just took the same exact footage and just did it again. They probably did. (laughs) And seemingly it implies that like all students are now essentially banned from even going outside. Fuck the outside classes. Yeah, I guess. Guess we don't need care of magical creatures or herbology. Nope, not at all. Those are electives anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. We then join mass detention, where all of the members of the DA mutilate their hands while Bitch Maul oversees them all from Dumbledore's chair, which she legit sits in like it's a goddamn throne. God complex much? Oh, yeah. Even with that sip of tea and everything, you're just like, ew. And she's wearing like these big billowy Snape robes, but they're pink and they're gross. They're not even a pretty shade of pink. They're like... I almost said shit pink, but I don't know if that should be a thing. (laughs) That's called see a doctor. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, the DA didn't get punished in the book because Dumbledore really did take full responsibility to make it seem like they, that one time, only did what they did because their headmaster asked them to. So there was no detention scene like that at all. Yeah. Well, and then also, too, they were caught all in the same room in the movie. movie, But in the book, they were all scattered. Right. But they had the list of all of their names. They had the list, but you couldn't prove that every single one of those people were there. Because Dumbledore took all the responsibility. Exactly. They did not get punished. Mm Mm-hmm. 
so they just had, you know, Pepto Bitchmall trying to drug Harry and trick answers out of him, which... Like you do. Which is really kind of funny considering that the two things she asked him, he can't really answer anyway. Right? Like I said, he doesn't know where Dumbledore went. And Sirius's house is protected by the Fidelius charm cast by Dumbledore himself. So it doesn't matter if he tells her. He could say, oh, he's at 12 Grimald Place. And it would mean nothing to her. She'd still not be able to see it. Yeah. She'd just be like, there is no 12 Grimald Place. What the fuck? That's not a thing. Are you lying to me, Potter? You must not tell lies. But she'd know that he's not. Or she'd think that she knows that he's not because she thought that she drugged him. Yeah. But not that that even mattered anyway, because Fred and George's big plan absolutely would have been Harry saved by the boom moment. (laughs) True. Even if he had known the answers or really drank the tea had, as we find out later, Snape not given her fake Veritaserum. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't have been able to say much of anything before (laughs) the big boom, like it happens the way it does, distracts her. Yeah. Like, even if he started talking... Even he started to say something like, oh, yeah, 12 Grimald Place. Boom. She'd be like, what the fuck? We'll have to finish this later and then have to leave the office. Stay right there. Don't move. I'll know if you move. Really. Seriously, don't move. Don't move. (laughs) She would have been very, very distracted by what happens next. Yes. That boom distracts her so much she nearly falls over. Mm -hmm. And then she looks to the door and Harry takes the opportunity to just dump his tea into a vase of dried flowers. Just, I drank it, I swear, I totally drank it. (laughs) And then she tells him to go back to lunch and goes to investigate what's causing this disruption. And Harry's like, I'm Harry James meddling Marie Potter. I'm not going to fucking go back to lunch. And he just gives it a few minutes and follows her. Yeah. And only has to go down one floor before he finds the chaos. (laughs) Which is comprised of green and gold sparky dragons. Sure. Just a shit ton of fireworks, basically. Yeah. Says that they are pink Catherine wheels that are like five feet wide and just flying around like they're flying saucers or something. Rockets with silver starred tails, ricocheting off the walls, sparklers. This is my favorite part. Sparklers that are spelling out swear words. <laughs> That's what I would do with them. Yeah. And it's just one of those things that I would have loved to specifically see that because everything is just exploding, writing swear words, bouncing off of one another. And instead of slowing down and dissipating, they just get more and more intense <laughs> as time goes on. Just keeps building and building and building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, this does happen in the movie, but like we said earlier, because they set it up so differently, we'll have to talk about it when the rest of that movie section falls and refer back to this part to compare it then. And It's a whole thing. It is a whole thing. (laughs) We're going to get there. We will cover it. Don't worry. The closest this movie section gets to giving us any of this right now is during the DA detention, of course. Because Fred and George, they just glare at her through the pain in their hands and they silently imagine her being the next test subject for their most disgusting products that have no antidotes yet. Well, she just simply looks on and sips her tea in cold, psychotic, megalomaniacal fashion. Mm-hmm. So you know they are absolutely plotting their revenge as they repeatedly slice lines into the back of their hands. Oh, yeah. They set it up quite a bit differently and I have thoughts about it, so we will save that for then. Mm-hmm. I believe it's during the film scenes that correspond with chapter 31. So we have a little bit of a ways to go. And that's what made it so difficult to pull it back and make it line up. Yeah. Make it make sense, as (laughs) Ashley says. Doesn't make sense at all. 
But right now in the book, Filch and Umbridge are both just standing there staring at all of these fireworks going, what the fuck (laughs) do we do? And they just seem frozen until one of the Catherine wheels begins to fly right towards them and they have to yell and duck. Yeah. Well, I guess they don't have to yell, but they have to duck and they they yell in fright. for sure. (laughs) They don't have... The yelling is just an automatic response. Yes. The yelling is a knee-jerk reaction. The ducking is necessary. For sure. Pepto Bitchmall shrieks at Filch to do something, and she pulls out her own wand and attempts to stupefy one of the rockets, which just causes it to massively explode. Doesn't freeze like it should. Just boom. Mm-hmm. She yells to Filch not to stun them like it was his idea. And Filch is just like, right you are. Like, he's not a fucking squib. As it says in the book, he could have no sooner stunned them than swallowed them. (laughs) Now that's something I would have liked to see. But he does do something. Yeah? He grabs a broom from a nearby broom cupboard and starts trying to hit the fireworks with a flammable object. It's all he knows. Shockingly, the broom catches fire. What? <laughs> That's crazy talk. And Harris just starts laughing and he's like, okay, I've watched enough. This is great. And he goes <laughs> a little bit down the corridor and ducks through a door that he knows is concealed behind a tapestry. And he ends up finding Fred and George hiding there as well because they also knew that that door was concealed behind that tapestry and it was just the perfect place to eavesdrop on everything going on. And they're back there just trying so hard not to LOL. Yeah. And Harry just quietly just goes, this is impressive, guys. Like, you outdid yourself. And George is just like, cheers. And he's wiping tears away from his face. And then Fred says, I hope they try vanishing them next because they're going to multiply by 10 every time. (laughs) (laughs) We never do find out if they did try vanishing them. But considering how the rest of the afternoon goes, I'm betting she did. Probably. We then get into one of my favorites that would have been a fucking phenomenal montage to include in this movie since they like montages so much. But it's one of my favorite moments in this whole book Mm -hmm. because these fireworks have managed to escape the first floor and are just all over the castle, all over the grounds. And none of the other teachers care, even though it's really fucking disruptive. They're just like, oh, dear, we have a firework in our classroom. And they'll just go send students to fetch the headmistress to go take care of them for them. (laughs) McGonagall specifically, they mention. She just goes, dear, dear, and then has Lavender Brown go fetch Professor Umbridge. Mm -hmm. And like I said, most of the teachers seem to be doing this. Yeah. Here's the moment that if I didn't already love Flitwick, (laughs) I like definitely felt this burst of pride and joy and just happiness when I read this part. Because when the final bell rings, Harry's leaving his last class and he catches sight of this completely soot blackened, disheveled Pepto Bitch Mall leaving Flitwick's classroom as he's thanking her and telling her that he could have gotten rid of the fireworks himself, but he wasn't sure if he had the authority. Oh, the sass. And just like it italicizes authority. So I can only imagine how he said it. I wasn't sure if I had the authority. (laughs) I mean, just shove that right in her face. It was just sass in her face. Big sass comes in little packages. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Flitwick is fucking badass. 
It was the best. <laughs> it was the best. And naturally, Fred and George are heroes in the common room. I bet you the other common rooms were celebrating them as well and just disappointed that they the weren't school. in their house. Yeah. Yeah. But Gryffindor specifically, because they're Gryffindor, they're just having a grand old party. Yeah. Even Hermione tells them that the fireworks were wonderful and congratulates them. <laughs> and they're super surprised, but also pleased because they know it's true. Yeah. And they tell her that they had to use their whole stock and have to start over from scratch. But there's a waiting list if she wants to sign up. And Fred tells her that it's five galleons for the basic blaze box and 20 galleons for the deflagration deluxe. Which was our trivia question. It sure was. Mm -hmm. Hermione then goes back to the table where Harry and Ron are sitting and they're just staring at their homework, silently praying that it'll start doing itself for them. That'd be awesome. Right? <laughs> and then she totally throws them both off by suggesting they take the night off. And Ron's like, who are you and what did you do with Hermione? Are you feeling okay? And she says, now that you mention it, I'm feeling a little rebellious. <laughs> just it's feeling. sort of fun breaking the rules, isn't it? Who are you? What have you done with Hermione Granger? Basically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they take the night off. Just hang out. Join the party. Yeah. Have a good night. Stick Relax. around. Yep. About an hour later, they head to their dorms. And the fireworks are still going off in the distance. But as Harry gets into bed and takes off his glasses and can only see them in blurs, he just turns to one side and thinks about how Umbridge's first day went and how she must be feeling about it and what Fudge <laughs> is going to say when he finds out. <laughs> Smiles. Closes his eyes. He needed this win. Yeah. He really did. I think everybody did. Oh, yeah. The sound of the fireworks dims mm. as Harry basically falls into the corridor that leads to the Department of Mysteries because dude falls asleep, has another dream, because you know in all of this chaos, he hasn't done a single bit of closing his mind. Oh, no. And at this point, too, he's so happy. He's, like, not even focused on Oh, no, not even remotely. That. Like, he had a legit good end to the day. And apparently he's having a good time in this dream, too, because he makes it through that door and through mm -hmm. several other rooms, actually all the way into the room with all of the glass spheres that the movie already showed us because they had Arthur specifically patrolling that room, not the door outside it. Yeah, whatever. But whatever. We finally get to hear what's in that room in mm -hmm. the book, though we don't know what it means at this point in either of them, really. No, I was going to say, yeah, we have zero clue. But we do know that this is the room where what he wants really badly is. Mm -hmm. And there's enough of Harry's consciousness there to know that it's not what he wants. It's what someone else wants. And then a really loud bang wakes him up and he's really confused. And then also kind of angry because I get angry when people wake me up. Yeah. And as do I. Disappointed. And as it turns out, one of the Catherine wheels hit a rocket. Mm. And it's like they mated. That's dirty. I mean, that's how Seamus describes it. He's at the window. Seamus is dirty. Yeah. <laughs> My point still stands. And his comment apparently was exciting enough to get Ron and Dean out of bed so they can go check it out too. Well, he said mated. Yeah. And they true. are teenage boys. Accurate. Harry, however, just stays in bed because his scar is hurting. And he's very disappointed that he didn't find out what he wants out of that room because he was so close this time. He was right there. But then as... He's listening to all of the Gryffindors cheering over the fireworks that are still going on. He has a little jolt in his stomach because he remembers he has Occlumency lessons coming up mm. like the next evening. And he hasn't been practicing at all. Yeah, that'll 
take the wind out of your sails real quick. Oh, yeah. And he spends the entire next day just stressing over what Snape will say if he finds out how far he got into the Department of Mysteries. So he keeps trying to practice a little bit during class. But every single time he falls silent as he's trying to clear his mind, Hermione's just like, are you okay? What's going on? (laughs) And it's like, what? Damn it. Bitch, I'm closing my mind. Yeah. And on top of that, all of the teachers are trying to do review stuff for the upcoming exams. And it's a really bad time for him to be emptying his mind. Yeah. He kind of needs to know this stuff. So he finally just sort of accepts that it's going to suck. It is what it is. And after dinner, he makes his way to Snape's office, thankfully getting to postpone it a little bit because Cho finds him. He's like, oh, come over here. And they pulls her off to the side so they aren't overheard. And he's like, are you OK? Has Umbridge been questioning you, too? And Cho says she's fine. She hasn't had to deal with anything like that at all. She just wanted to say that she never dreamed Marietta would tell on them like that. And Harry's just like, yeah, well, you should have picked your friends a little bit more carefully. And then Cho says that she's really a lovely person who just made a mistake. I mean, I don't entirely not agree with that. I don't know. I'm with Harry here because he just sort of looks at her incredulously and is like, she sold us all out, including you. Like, that's not a mistake. Yeah, it was a dick move. For sure. That was a poor choice. That was a dick move choice. I think it almost might be Cho wanting to save face, too, because she's the one who brought Marietta in. Oh, no, for sure it's what she's doing. So it's kind of like... No, I didn't really fuck up. It's just that she's got some shit going on and like, you know. Yeah, her mom works for the ministry. It's really hard for her. She didn't actually want to join to begin with. I sort of made her. And Harry's just not buying any of it because Ron's dad's in the ministry and he hasn't got sneak written across his face. Okay, that's fair. Which then Cho gets mad and calls that a horrible trick of Hermione's and says that she should have told him she jinxed the list, which I think kind of defeats the purpose of it. I mean, if you don't know that there's that consequence, though. Well, I want this to be our Potter pondering. I want to know what other people think about this. Yeah. Because I don't think that you should not tell on people when you promise to keep it a secret simply because you know something bad will happen to you if you do. They may have refused to sign, and then there'd be nothing to stop them from going to Pepto Bitch Mall and saying, hey, I went to this meeting today and found out they're planning on doing this. I mean, so tell them after they signed. By the way, you signed this, you promised. If you go against it, you're going to regret it. Exactly. I mean, maybe, I guess, suppose, yeah. But Like, meet in the middle somewhere. <laughs> Perhaps. You don't necessarily have to tell them before they sign it, but they should know what's going to happen to them if they fuck up. By the way, you signed this. Snitches get cystic acne. Basically, yes. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Harry, like I said, I'm kind of on his side because he just says he thinks it's brilliant. It was very brilliant. I'm not going to deny that. I just think they could have avoided this had people known what would have happened. But why would it need avoided? She fucking told on him. But she might not have if she knew she was going to have sneak across her face and be all deformed and shit. But does that make her any less of a shitty person? But that's not the point of it, though. I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Right? It's tough. I am more torn on this than I am about how I feel about Snape at this moment. So I just want to, like, go cry somewhere now. No, I think this is why this makes such a great pondering. I'm really interested to hear what other people have to say. Because, yes, she is young. You could argue that it is a mistake, like Cho wants to call it. But I think a mistake is something that you do... When you haven't been taught, when you don't understand what you're doing and how it's going to affect people. She knew very well what that would do to everybody in that group and her friend. Yeah. She made a choice 
to betray that. And it was her betrayal that put that curse into place, that jinx into place. Now, do I think it should be permanent and that maybe there should be a way for her to have it removed when she shows that she's not a fucking betrayer? With time, maybe that'll happen. I don't know. I don't know how permanent it is. And without that information, I can't say for sure. Because do I think that this poor girl should have sneak on her face and purple pustules for the rest of her life? Probably not. I'm just saying. Before going into this, I was very anti-Marietta. But now I'm like weirdly flip-floppy. And I don't know why. And I don't really like it, if I'm being honest with you. (laughs) And I would like to just move the fuck on. Okay. Well, like I said, this is going to be our Potter pondering. So we'll get to hear more about it from other people. Anyway, Harry says it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And Cho just turns red and says, oh, of course, I forgot if it was darling Hermione's idea. Honey. Harry just goes, don't you start crying again. And she's like, I wasn't going to. And he says, good, I've got enough to cope with at the moment. She's like, then go and cope with it. (laughs) And then walks off. (laughs) I just like your analysis. (laughs) That's how I read it. It's such a 15-year-old argument, and I love it. It's just... I witness a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> and again, not a bit of that happens in the movie. Not in this part, and not in the part where they actually include Fred and George's fireworks. Nowhere. Just no, nowhere. Because why would they? <laughs> it's silly. However, it does end on a slightly similar note. Only in the sense that Harry has an encounter with Cho. But it's something, you know. Yeah. But do the changes from book to movie, particularly making Cho the traitor rather than Marietta, the dynamic is completely different. Oh, completely. In the movie, we cut to everyone leaving detention, only to see Cho Chang chilling in the entrance hall, waiting for Harry. You do have to give her credit here, too, because it takes balls to stand outside of a room being vacated by a bunch of people who fucking hate you. Oh, yeah. Luckily, all she gets is some dirty glares and some shoulder checks as opposed to like the hexes and the right hooks that that they might think are deserved yes that harry finally leaves the great hall last and cho makes a move to talk to him but he just he just looks her down for a moment and then keeps going on his way without a word just leaving her all alone and giving her yet another reason to cry definitely a different dynamic Mm mm-hmm and this is where we cut off both the book chapter and movie section. So, hey, it ends on a ding-ish. A ding-ish with sad Cho. Sad Cho as opposed to pissed Cho. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we have no new actors to talk about. So let's just move on to our Potter pondering. Mm-hmm. Which is, what are your thoughts on Hermione's jinxed parchment? Horrible trick or brilliant idea? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or... Call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Missy Mordarski. She writes, My house is Gryffindor. My Patronus is a Swift, and my wand is vine wood with a unicorn hair core, ten and three quarter inches length, rigid flexibility. My love of Harry Potter began in August of 2003. Between my last day of work and my first day of grad school, I had three wide open weeks to move and get settled into my new apartment before classes began. 
A friend had loaned me her copy of The Sorcerer's Stone, and I was initially reluctant to read it. But she had never recommended a book I didn't like, and since I had absolutely nothing else to do, I dove in. I finished it in a day and a half and felt an absolute need to consume more of the story. I ran out and bought The Chamber of Secrets, The Prisoner of Azkaban, and The Goblet of Fire. I had moved to a very rural area, and in a span of a couple of days, there was a tornado, and my entire apartment complex was surrounded by floodwaters. And if you were around to remember anything about August of 2003, that was when the Great Northeast Blackout took place. With crazy weather and then many days with no electricity, I happily got through all of these books just before my classes began. What a dream. No work, no responsibilities, no studying. Just reading book after book of this phenomenal series. I finished The Order of the Phoenix by winter break and then eagerly awaited each new book's release. I remember sobbing at the end of Half-Blood Prince when I was living in Maryland. I went to a bookstore at midnight for the release of The Deathly Hallows and read it through the night. The Cleveland Orchestra was playing the Lord of the Rings Symphony at Blossom that very next evening, and I was far from the only person, ahem, nerd, sitting on the lawn with a flashlight reading the final book during the performance. I love how reflecting on the first time I read these books brings to mind very specific times in my life, and how each time I re-experience the story either through film or audiobook or rereading to my girls, how it creates new memories and of enjoyment and comfort. I love sharing these stories with my daughters and how our love of the series connects us to each other and to others. We've done themed birthday parties, Halloween costumes, movie marathons, trips to Universal Studios, puzzles, board games, Lego sets, knitted scarves, made recipes, and now we look forward to the release of each illustrated book as they come out. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Missy. Yes, thank you. And if any of the other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, in Snape's memory, what was question 10 on the Defense Against the Dark Arts OWL? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag excellent question, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. 
I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 28, Snape's worst memory and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calm and Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake.